This is Gartner's CFO Podcast. Hi, welcome to Gartner's CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Horvath. I'm excited to introduce our new co-host, Nina Moreno, who will be introducing today's topic and guest. Hey, Marco. Thanks so much for letting me join. So yeah, it's 2023, a new year. Um, now, what's like the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear New Year's? Exactly, New Year's resolutions. So today we have a super exciting guest, Craig Risberg, who's managing vice president in the Gartner Finance Practice, and he's going to share with us some uh, some hot takes, some spicy takes. Welcome, Craig. Thank you so much for having me, Nina Marco. I'm really excited to be here. And heck, I, I love New Year's and I love resolutions. Uh, so I'm jazzed to, to share some of the things that we think uh, our clients, CFOs, should be thinking about a little differently. Stuff to start doing, but also stuff to stop doing. Awesome. I mean, all of us are currently like in that process of becoming better versions of ourselves and making these resolutions, right? So for example, I am committed to cutting back on my cheese addiction this year. If an organization were to do the same with its finance function, what should those resolutions be? So, you know, this year we're finally stopping to do X, or we're going to start doing that one thing that we've always wanted slash needed to do. So Craig, give me your top five. Yeah, this could be a this could be a lot longer list than five, admittedly, but I, I've got five that I think if every team took seriously, that we would find a lot of joy in 2023. And the first one is a stop. It's getting spreadsheets out of the budgeting process. Stop using your spreadsheets and budgeting. One, one thing. Thing two is update those job descriptions. We're in a heck of a talent market and we've got to make sure the job descriptions are good for the digital talent that we're looking for. Related to that, the third is creating a sense of belonging for our growing digital IT finance talent, right? So we're growing our, our IT community and finance. How do we get them to feel like they belong? Fourth is an interesting one. It's trying and likely failing, admittedly, at more finance AI projects. And then finally, a, a personal call to CFOs to personally invest in helping to develop finance's target operating model, the, the where the heck are we taking this thing? So five things that I want to hit, kind of different levels of, uh, you know, some different levels of sophistication, perhaps, and, and level of investment, but all things that I think can really make 2023 an even better year than this one. That's great. So let, let's dive into a couple of those things. I think it's really interesting that the very first thing you listed was something that you know, organizations need to stop doing. I think one of the great things about Gartner is that we have all these great models and all these great sort of scenarios and advice about what people should be doing. So it, it's pretty interesting that the first thing out of your out of your mouth is, you know, here's something that organizations need to stop doing, and that first thing has to do with spreadsheets. So when I think about spreadsheets, you know, Excel comes to mind as probably you know the most popular spreadsheet software or even tool that is used by finance teams. So if you could put rules around when a team should use Excel or other spreadsheet software, and when they should look towards a better solution, what would those rules be? Because we're not saying like never use spreadsheets ever again, right? It's only under these circumstances. Yeah. I mean, let me start by saying I love spreadsheets. I'm, I'm a finance guy by trade. 
Uh, and I love Excel. Uh, I have very little bad to say about it itself. I mean, aside from maybe VLOOKUPs, I, I don't feel like I ever quite got all the way uh, there on VLOOKUPs. Um, but look, in short, spreadsheets are great when when used appropriately. The problem is that most finance organizations are being abused. We're trying to use spreadsheets to use Excel to do things that, frankly, it was never designed for. Um, that's the whole problem. It's not the software itself. It's not just spreadsheets themselves, but it's how we use them. And, and you ask about rules. I mean, I, I think the rules are actually pretty simple. You know, if you've got uh, huge databases and things that need to be consolidated, probably don't use Excel. Um, when you have to do advanced modeling, uh, if you've got to, say, customize visualizations, if you need regular or instantaneous updating, Inversion control really matters. These are places we don't want to use Excel. And I'll mention that all of those, by the way, are characteristics of the budgeting process. Large data sets, consolidation across groups, modeling, updates, version control, et cetera. So what we're saying is absolutely use Excel as a tool, but not as a planning platform and database. If we're talking about simple data sets, basic arithmetic uh, operations and the like, um, absolutely use it. But I think increasingly, as we talk to more uh, kind of technology forward finance organizations, what they say is that increasingly the, the, their spreadsheets are becoming kind of notepad, notepads, right? It's stuff that we kind of write down our ideas on. Maybe we do some simple manipulations to test and learn, but it's not a tool that we're running our core processes out of. Got it. So we shouldn't use Excel as our foundation for budgeting. This is what you're saying. Why is it that, you know, it's because when you were talking about Excel, we weren't talking about, you know, Excel in general. You were very explicit about stop using Excel for the budget process in particular. So, what is it about Excel or spreadsheet software that is detrimental to the budgeting process itself? And, and why would a different way of working? Be more beneficial. What are the benefits of, of using something other than that as our foundation for budgeting? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fair question because so many organizations do use Excel as kind of a linchpin in their budgeting process. Uh, we're actually finishing up some really awesome research on this topic right now, and I think the short answer to your question of why to take it out of the budgeting process is one: yeah, we're, a lot of organizations are using it, but the real reason is it makes us less effective. In particular, it makes us less agile. When we look at how the best organizations plan and in their process plan to enable more agility, um, which frankly in such a crazy and volatile environment is, is kind of the holy grail that we see most people reaching for, Excel actually reduces agility by about 10%, a little less than 10%. So in short, Excel actually works against the very thing that most of our organizations are actually striving for right now. Um, and a few reasons we found for why that might be. One, it amplifies human errors, particularly in consolidation. And I think we've all seen that. Most of the folks on the line could probably think back to that nightmare 2 a.m. trying to figure out what the heck broke as they were trying to consolidate budget inputs. Um, broken macros and links can delay that consolidation, the dissemination of plans, getting that kind of loop going as we kind of work back with our business partners and get those budgets consolidated. Um, we end up with data inconsistencies because there's almost always multiple spreadsheets running around. Even frankly, if we're trying to get out of that environment and use collaborative stuff, 
we, we I talked to people who said like, yeah, X downloaded it, did some things in that, and now we're trying to get it back in the spreadsheet. It's a nightmare. Um, what else? It, it doesn't have really the capability of integrating large volumes of data across multiple sheets. I mean, you can, you can, we can build some hacks, but that's really what they are. And very frequently, those hacks kind of break down. Um, and honestly, the other thing is sensitivity. We've got a lot of sensitive information in here. And we think about a lot of the processes that organizations have to put in place to safeguard that stuff. Uh, if we're working outside of our systems, it's a real problem. Um, so I, I'm sure I could have a longer list than that. But I think in particular, if we look at Excel and the bushing process, it's working against the very thing that we're trying to enable. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because one of the things that finance teams are really striving for, and you hear it all the time, it's almost become a buzzword around you know getting out of our working silos. And as finance teams try to become more you know cooperative and integrate themselves with the rest of the business, the ability to really share this information is really going to be really important. And, you know, I've seen it in my working days where you get a spreadsheet and it's called something like, you know, budget version 3.0 dash initials stash date version 6.8 slash final, right? And that that version control is really, really important. And not only that, but every time it's really crazy because, you know, you want these great models and Excel thought of it this way to really add some complexity, some thought to it. But adding that complexity and thought really can be detrimental because when you hand that off, oftentimes it makes it really, really hard to iterate the more complex it goes. And so how do we, you know, kind of moving on, um, this kind of speaks, I think, to to a, a bigger issue. And that bigger issue to me, and, and maybe Nina, you, you, you can talk about this a little bit, you know, with Craig is, you know, how do we get people comfortable with sort of technology and what kind of talent should we be looking for other than just the ability to, you know, put things into a spreadsheet? Yeah, definitely. Um, so many of you may be aware of, but I actually spent earlier in my career as a professional HR nerd. So I was in our HR research practice. So talent is very near and dear to my heart. Um, and as we all are aware of, currently it's pretty, it's pretty tough out there. So a lot of finance functions are really struggling to recruit folks with the skills to really properly leverage technologies like robotic process automation and machine learning. So Craig, in your in your words, in your eyes, like how can CFOs take that concept of digital literacy and successfully apply that to job descriptions? Also, how can CFOs like better communicate like what is both needed and expected out of you know the new and existing finance staff? That goes beyond that very classic job description, like bullet point. It's like, quote, must have familiarity with XYZ program slash software. Yeah, the uh, the old must know SAP, must know Oracle. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I, at the high level, the first thing is we've got to have a sense of the competencies we need and expect to need. I know that seems obvious, and I can tell you for years we've been beating the drum on finance competencies, and that's because it's always been a foundational requirement, but today, with all of our quickly shifting skill sets, new technologies, all the stuff that we have going on, it's even more important. And in fact, that notion of competencies, it underpins the types of things that we're looking for actually in job descriptions. And I'll, I'll mention here a little plug, we've developed a whole finance digital competency model that outlines the knowledge, skills, and abilities finance staff need to know, regardless of what program or system the organization currently uses. So 
I think the key here is for CFOs to be able to take a look at what's needed and make to make their systems work and to break down those requirements into replicable knowledges, skills, and abilities that can be used regardless of technology. So for example, for individuals working with BI tools, right? It, it could be could be Tableau, Power BI, whatever we're doing or other systems to boot, descriptions are, are more likely or should feature requirements stuff such as understanding data visualization techniques, um, financial acumen, data interpretation, data storytelling. You could probably think of more. These are generic ideas. These are elements. These are competencies that underpin that uh, that use of something like data visualization tools that are abstracted up to a slightly higher level. So we're not anchoring just on that particular piece of technology itself. Frankly, the speed with which organizations are changing the technology portfolio is it's a losing game to anchor just on an individual vendor. Um, the other thing is these types of elements and job descriptions, if, if we are able to abstract up to um, a level that, that, uh, that describes these technical requirements across different system types, it prevents staff from anchoring their thinking and all their work on that particular tool to a wider set of competencies, which is really important, especially for, frankly, people that are maybe a little bit earlier in their career. And what we found most recently and especially when it comes to job postings, is the job descriptions often actually tend to emphasize job requirements for digital jobs in the function without distinguishing the organization doing the posting from other opportunities that this digital talent may be pursuing. In, in short, what does that mean? It means that finance teams really are terrible at standing out from the competition, here, right? Winning CFOs realize their job descriptions need to be more than just a filter. They need to be a tool that persuades digital talent to apply, to want to work with us. And to do that, our descriptions need to highlight the aspects of the function that digital talent wants to know about before applying. That means we've got to include things in our job descriptions like an outline of the type of work the digital talent will be doing, an overview of the people that, that they'll be working with, examples of opportunities that come out of working in the role, especially for the types of talent, data science talent, advanced analytics uh, talent, AI folks, RPA folks. These are people that want to build capabilities that are going to take them along. And this they, they often see this as a stop on their journey. Our job descriptions need to convince them that this is a beneficial stop uh, to them on their journey. Yeah, that's that's a really really good point because one of the things that you know I've kind of talked about with with some folks is this idea that the talent that you're competing for, this digital talent, it's beyond the traditional sort of talent pool that you would normally get for finance talent, right? You're not just going to go out and find someone with the accounting or finance degree or someone that's you know pulled from you know a, a big accounting firm or whatever. You're really looking for a skill set, and that skill set isn't necessarily finance specific. And to your point, we do get lost, you know, in 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 the mix because how do we stand out looking for these specific, you know, areas of talent and need within finance when those same skill sets can be applied in different departments across different organizations across different industries? So it really, really needs to stand out, and you know that kind of leads me to you know the the next thing that I've seen a lot, and I know Gartner has kind of written some stuff about this. It seems to be that in attracting this digital talent. You know, the old way that CFOs used to sort of fill in for that would just be pull people from IT, right? And then have them work with your finance people. 
And now IT people are getting, you know, sort of frustrated by that and they're getting bottlenecked because there's all this other stuff because it's not just, you know, finance, it's becoming more digital and becoming more technological. It's the entire organization. So the solution for that seems to be that a lot of organizations are creating this finance IT function, right, which is, you know, a place where they can sort of concentrate and optimize that digital finance talent. Um, you know, Craig, do you want to talk about maybe a little bit more for the, for our listeners that aren't all that familiar with what finance IT is and how that relates to maybe, you know, your traditional IT function, you know, who, who are they, what do they do, who do they report to, that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, this is, this is one of those interesting topic areas of finance IT because certainly some organizations that I started working with 15 years ago or more have reasonably substantial finance IT functions. Um, other people are just getting their feet wet. What I can tell you is that over the past couple of years, given the, the, the pace of finance digital transformation, the number of organizations that have dedicated finance IT groups is increasing dramatically. And the size, uh, scale, scope, focus, capabilities of the groups that, that people have had that they're building has increased as well. When we talk finance IT, fundamentally what we're talking about is a group that lives in finance that is devoted to evaluation, development, implementation, maintenance, et cetera, of technologies and tools that are used by finance. Okay, so um, these groups are, are really being created, I think, for pretty obvious reasons. We need more control uh, over our technology, but there's some other things going on here. Our whole organizations, most organizations are making broader digital transformation plays. That means that we may not be in finance getting the level of support that we need to, to uh, on technology to support our own transformations. The other thing that's happened is a lot of the responsibility for, um, for IT work is being democratized into functions like finance. Um, where you know we're doing more of the, the selection, the buying, the customization, and so on in the past. So naturally, we need some some people to to do that work. But the deal is, uh, there's not there's not a single way these groups look. In fact, when we started to dig into this, um, which which we did uh, earlier this year, last year, and, and then uh, into this year, we actually found that there are some different archetypes to how we look at finance IT. There was kind of three in particular. And look, this is a spectrum, admittedly. But they're kind of three big buckets that we can that we can think about these groups in. The first is what we think of as finance as the technology operations squad, right? And this is a group that's really designed to maintain finance-specific technology systems and application and manage end-user support requests, right? So this is a little bit more of kind of an operational group devoted to generally more kind of existing systems and maybe some of the thought work still lives in IT. The second big archetype is what we call finance IT as the finance technology strategy office. And these folks continue to own many of those things that I just mentioned, um, but they primarily focus on finance technology planning that includes things like technology road mapping, collecting and user requirements, configuring or reconfiguring technologies, and, and so on. The third archetype is what we call tech, uh, the finance IT as the technology innovation group. Um, this group does both of the, those first two, the kind of maintenance and planning side, but also focuses a, a, a lot or significantly on developing finance-specific tools and applications, right? Um, and so we'll often see this in places where people are customizing their capabilities or using this group as really an, an innovation driver in the organization. Um, I, I should mention, 
you know, these teams also, they're not huge. Uh, these are not these. It's not as though we're seeing organizations say supplant all of their accounting organization with a finance IT group. But boy, are they growing quickly. In fact, as we look at the next few years of finance headcount growth and we're looking across our sub functions and so on, we actually expect a lot more to to uh, to be flowing into these finance IT groups um, yeah. than the really hardly any most any other places. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in speaking to a lot of our clients, it seems that this finance IT thing is something, even if it's not intentional, that a lot of organizations are really sort of landing on as the solution to sort of liberate, uh, you know, technology within the finance department and bring some of those other skills that you see in IT, like program management and, and you know, the ability to sequence some of the transformation stuff into IT. So... You know, if we do have this sort of subset of people in finance IT, and if they have this, you know, finance structure that, that's sort of a little bit different, because these typically aren't going to be, you know, even though they can be, you know, your accountants or, you know, your treasury people or whatever, how do we keep these people? Because they have this, you know, really important skill set. So how can we structure them so that they're part of finance, even though what they're doing isn't necessarily putting in journal entries and that kind of stuff? And really sort of foster that sense of belonging to, to make sure they don't leave. Yeah. And, and look, this isn't just about these kind of dedicated finance IT teams. I think this is a much bigger idea that's really, really important because, you know, if we look at some of the, say, centers of excellence around data and analytics, where folks are hiring data scientists, these are not necessarily just finance people. They're more technology people, but they live in the finance function. Um, a lot of these people that we're hiring, whether again, it's on these finance IT groups or other uh, groups that are using data in systems in more innovative ways, they didn't, as you say, kind of many of them, especially folks earlier in their career, come up um, through, say, finance education. That this is the only thing they want to do is work in a finance department. They may actually be looking at finance relative to, say, marketing. Um, or uh, or relative to working at some other digital company in particular. So I, I think one of the things that's important to realize is as these groups are growing and we're hanging a lot of our, our kind of hanging our hat on the ability to get more out of our systems and enable more in our systems, we need to make sure that we're getting these people into the fold. And that idea of belonging is really important because um, frankly, um, the turnover in these roles, and we don't do this well, can be really, really high, especially for some of that most valuable talent. There were a few things that in some research this year we saw organizations doing to foster more of that, uh, more of that belonging in finance. Uh, one thing was to restructure the way that we plan for digital initiatives to allow from more kind of bottom-up input from finance IT staff to to really give them more alignment and purpose. Um, for what they're doing uh, with, with respect to the central finance functions. Uh, objective, key result, like OKR frameworks could be particularly well-suited for that to kind of give them a voice in that exercise. Another thing we saw was creating experience-based career paths uh, for these folks. That's really important because we need to connect the experience that they're acquiring in our finance function with their overall career aspirations um, so they actually understand why this stop off in, in finance and doing this data and analytics work or doing this IT work or transformation work is really a benefit um, to them. Um, and I'd say the third thing that we we found was that 
Um, winning groups are really establishing more mutual learning and partnership programs to build stronger personal connections between finance IT staff and, and the rest of the function. I think this is really, really important, especially if we think about some of our traditional finance folks maybe having some aversion to elements of technology um, and, uh, and perhaps some fear uh, related to what that technology means. Um, we, we, I've heard some clients talk about the split that is starting to open up between elements of their quote unquote traditional finance function and more of their kind of innovation technology digital focus function. We gotta get we gotta get past that. We've gotta get these folks into the fold and make sure they feel like they belong. So it seems like there's the resolution really is like intentionality, right? So if you want to become a digital, you know, work towards autonomous finance finance function, you really need to be more intentional in terms of like who you hire, what kind of skills they have, and where do they go once you bring them into the fold. You know, the old days of, you know, must must be familiar with Excel, must have SAP experience, you know, looking for a CPA degree, um, and then just hoping you get lucky that the person likes digital seems to have gone by the wayside. No doubt. Yeah. So circling back to your original list of New Year's resolutions, uh, what struck me is that you said that CFOs need to try more AI projects. Why is that? And, you know, given that's a pretty daunting call to action, how can CFOs foster innovation and support digital talent venturing into those, to those emerging solutions like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, it's pretty simple, but I'd say it's also pretty profound. Uh, we got to try more because we need to fail more because we want to succeed more. Okay. It's that simple, right? Failing more in this means succeeding more. And I say that because and I think this number is coming down, but when we looked at it uh, several months ago, 80% of new AI pilots fail to meet expectations. So we expect that hit rate to continue to improve with experience, but the truth is that right now, we're way more likely to fail than to succeed. And what that means is we've got to do more stuff, right? We're trying to build a muscle here in our organizations. We're trying to shift culture here. That means experimenting, that means failing, that means celebrating what we can learn from, from that and making sure that we're able to, to pull the plug and move on to the next thing. We've got to shift our mindset here on what it means to win in AI and ML and finance. Um, with most applications of AI and finance, it's completely different than some of our, say, large system implementations where the difference between success and failure is like totally black and white, right? The ERP implementation failed. We all know what that means, right? We had to go back to the old system. Um, yeah, there's probably some things to learn in that experience, but it's really different than this. For AI projects, um, what we learn, the skills we build, the way that we pivot is often the ways that organizations get to their greatest successes. And by reorienting that mindset, we actually encourage our digital talent to venture into emerging solutions. If we can give people opportunities to test and learn, to get their hands dirty in our data sets and in new tools, and to celebrate the attempts, we're going to encourage more and better participation. We can also do things here by giving our talent opportunities to, to play with tools and with data that, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, is personally beneficial to their career and to their development. Um, 
where they're actually building skills that they can take with them other places, hopefully other places in finance or maybe in the company, uh, but perhaps other other places as well. And I will tell you, as we talk to folks that are just, say, getting out of school um, or just getting out of grad school or people that are technology first, one of the primary things that they are looking for in new employers is do they have interesting problems to solve with cool tools? That's what they want. So we've got to create a culture where we're actually enabling uh, more of this. Okay. Okay. That's a pretty convincing argument. Um, what would you say is a good place to start with AI then? Well, uh, I it's probably obvious. I could say there are a lot of places that we're seeing people uh, deploying AI. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, a couple of thoughts. I'll say the first thing is... There's actually AI capabilities included in a lot of existing systems that perhaps we already spent a lot of money on. Uh, and many tools that that orgs have purchased are, you know, have or implementing new capabilities with AI baked in. Um, an example is, um, and we did some research in the Magic Quadrant for integrated invoice to cash, right? And we saw a variety of vendors, including AI tools for things like late payment prediction and the like. Um, so one place to kind of start and look for AI opportunities is actually in the the context of existing large systems where we may actually have a capability that we can use and exploit in some way and get and get people um, you know, get people thinking about this. Um, the the second, if we're looking for use cases outside of our core tools where organizations are are using kind of standalone tools or building their own models, you know, look, one of the most common use cases is in something like scenario planning, which is incredibly important right now as organizations are trying to get uh, some a better view of what's coming down the, the, the pike. Um, and we're seeing orgs really, especially companies that have worked on their and thought a good bit about their business drivers, is to use AI to build statistical distributions across thousands of different potential model runs, right? To start to hone in not just on uh, potential outcomes, but on the likelihood of outcomes. More broadly, I'd say in places where we have big data sets and importantly identifiable business challenges or or opportunities, we have the potential to use AI to help make sense of our data. Um, this is part of the reason we're seeing so many more organizations investing in that DNA talent we were talking about, it, hiring data science. So ultimately, to find interesting and valuable use cases, we don't need that much. We need some people who understand the tools, are willing to experiment, some decent data sets to, to let them loose on, and I would say critically, some meaningful or at least a starting place on definable business objectives or problems to, to let them loose on. If we've got some of that together, I think organizations can create a real flywheel, a virtuous cycle here uh, of testing and experimenting in AI. Yeah, I think that's great because I think, you know, one part of that resolution should be that CFOs need to rethink, you know, what they know about AI because so often it's think, you know, it's thought about, oh, that's something that's really complicated. It's in the future because there's, you know, not that long ago, if you really wanted to do this right, what you had to do was you'd have to hire some data scientists to understand what you wanted to do. You had to hire some, you know, software engineers to sort of code everything up and you have, you needed to have a group of finance people to sort of tell people what they wanted to do. And, and there, there was this sort of complex sort of, you know, you know, game of telephone going on between the three different groups to develop this incredibly expensive uh, product in the end. But now 
you know, there's so many products that have, that are no code or low code that are built with the finance professional in mind and the ability to get this digital talent in place to start doing this AI, that barrier to entry has gotten so much lower. So I think part of that needs to be, you know, resolved. Uh, CFOs will stop being tired or, or stop being, um, not tired, resolved that CFOs will stop being afraid of AI. Now, all that being said, you know, the t- technology is, is great and it's really, really exciting. Um, but, you know, technology within itself can sometimes be a distraction. You know, you talk about in your resolutions that that, that target operating model is really important. And not only that, but the CFOs being personally invested in it is something that should be a resolution. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how technology needs to align with the target operating model and, and what is the risk of CFOs not being personally invested in developing that vision. Yeah, I mean, look, the, these transformation initiatives that we see organizations undertaking, the vast majority of our clients, I would say well over 80%. <laughs> um, I can't give a, a perfect answer, but well over 80% of the orgs that we work with are pursuing some sort of pretty significant finance digital transformation. Um, with that said, the, the 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 number that we talk to that don't really have a clear north star uh, is pretty scary. The number that don't have strong steering committees, some of the kind of underlying characteristics of uh, of kind of good uh, good hygiene and really the foundations of successful transformation are are really often um, missing. When I think about CFOs. There's a reason, by the way, then that orgs are, are actually investing in transformation shops. We're seeing an increase in the number of named finance transformation leaders, uh, of transformation management offices, and and the like. Um, I I think there's a bit of a New Year's resolution here for CFOs personally on this side, which is to get and stay deeply involved in finance transformation. There, there's a danger here of over delegation, and I think as these projects have gotten bigger and more complicated. We've actually been seeing a, a little bit more of that of bringing in the consultant or the the new um, you know the, the new person to kind of take that off their plates. Um, that's fine. It does not substitute for CFOs being deeply and personally involved in developing uh, what the future should look like. And I would say that in particular, of course, that, that involvement should be weighted towards the beginning of the transformation. I, I will say it's not to say you have to do all your normal things and then involve be involved in every deep step of the transformation project, but um, there are a few things that we absolutely do have to do at the most senior level to set organizations up for success. So, so naming somebody as the head of that transformation should probably be a standalone role. Um, it could be a secondary job. If it is a secondary job, it's got to be really well defined. We've got to make sure that person has time. We've got to prepare the finance leadership team for the change. Um, and I, I know that this seems relatively obvious, but the number of times that I talk to people that report to CFOs or maybe a couple levels down that are in one way or another waiting for some element of the transformation to blow over is pretty scary. Um, and so there's something about seeding the ground kind of culturally in the expectations uh, that CFOs need to be involved with. We've got to communicate purpose, vision, and expectation, uh, both within the finance function and then to other parts of the organization. And then we've got to make sure that there's a governance uh, structure in place, steering committees, et cetera, et cetera. And there's all kinds of different ways to skin that particular cat. 
but we've got to be deeply involved in those things. Um, so you most, uh, what, I, what I would say here is that though the, the transformation uh, leadership role itself is incredibly important and incredibly valuable, CFOs can't outsource the thought work uh, around this, can't outsource the vision setting around this to somebody else. Um, fundamentally, CFOs are the ones that have to be driving this development of what you mentioned earlier, which is that kind of target operating model. Yeah. And I see that all the time. You know, I, I think that's one of the biggest bottlenecks when it comes to transformation is that there's this over-delegation. And when you over-delegate and you see the CFOs and personally invested, you, you get lots of issues in terms of, you know, people want to do things, but they don't feel like they have the authority or you have, you know, people competing for the same resources. And, you know, then, then they're constantly going to CFO to play traffic cop and decide who gets where and it just everything just slows down so i think that um that's really important for the cfos to own it they, they can't just delegate it all out you know what's actually really interesting about that marco is you're totally right that there's you know a lot of it is about playing traffic cop but i think one of the bigger problems here and one of the reasons that i really think this is a cfo level issue is that our transformations very often are kind of disconnected and by that, I mean, we may be really strong and have a really good roadmap of exactly what systems we're going to implement at what times, but we find that overall, we haven't thought about how we're going to get the digital skills we need to actually use those systems effectively. Or we're, you know, we're, we're putting that AI in, we've got a data scientist um, that we're going to use to get after some of these big questions, but we haven't really thought about what that means for our business partnering organization of who's going to bring that stuff into our, uh, put that into the hands of, of uh, our operators or other folks in the organization. So one of the reasons that I think we say find that CFOs need to be really involved in this operating model concept is to make sure that we're joining up these different pillars in a way that we're building to a single unified vision versus what often happens when we push this down in the organization and we might give somebody responsibility for say driving all of those technology initiatives or, or maybe we got somebody who's who's uh who's really focused on the org structure but those things are disconnected and i would argue and what we're seeing is that the most successful uh, cfos are the ones that are creating that vision of what the target operating model is going to look like at the end of the transformation and making sure that we're thinking about how all those things fit together. They're not doing all this work necessarily. Heck, a transformation leader might be the, you know, the, the one who's really driving 80 or 90% of that stuff, but that the, that vision, uh, codifying it, um, uh, circulating it with the, with the group, coming back to it, making sure that it's joined up. That's really the role of the, the CFO in, in, in this new year's resolution. That's awesome. So there you have it, you know, sort of five things that, you know, I think all these things are, are things that CFOs maybe not be able to accomplish all in 2023, but these are all things that I think they definitely should be working on. And that's, you know, this is, you know, let's resolve. This is the year we stop using spreadsheets for budgets, right? Resolve. This is the year we stop hoping that digital talent lands in our lap we be intentional about, you know, looking for that digital talent in our job descriptions and in our searches. Resolved, you know, we have a place for the digital community interface with finance. Resolved, we will stop being afraid of AI and, and, and open ourselves up to those possibilities. And, and I think that last one is really, really important, right? Resolved, I will stop 
hoping that other people will take, you know, ownership of my finance transformation and I will be personally involved to make sure that the target operating model and finance matches with the long-term vision that I as the CFO am, am you know, placing on on our team. That was great. That was great, Craig. I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a pleasure and I look forward to coming back. I, I'm sure there'll be plenty of spicy takes across 2023. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.